This is the Foot in the Box podcast for the week of Monday, June 26th. And now, please rise for the singing of our Hello and welcome to episode 99 of the A Foot in the Box podcast. My name is Peter Elliott. And I'm Paul Elliott. We are twin brothers coming to you from Champaign, Illinois. And this is a weekly baseball podcast. Thank you so much for listening. Uh, So episode 100 is next week. So close. A lot of hype around that. Uh, We can just sense it here in town. Uh, (laughs) But I'm actually very excited for this week's episode. Yeah, it's gonna be a good one. I think it's we've got two guests coming, and I'm uh, super excited for both of them. I think uh, as excited as I've been for any uh, any guest. That's that we've saying had. a lot. I know. Um, yeah, we've got uh, Mike Lurion, who wrote a book uh, six years ago that we are just now reading. He'll be a great guest. Uh, the book is about uh, him visiting all uh, major league baseball parks with his son. Yep, like we said last week, uh, we celebrate Father's Day every podcast <laughs> episode. And then we also have a longtime friend of the podcast, David, on to do baseball Mount Rushmores. So we've got a few different uh, Mount Rushmores to do, b- baseball-related, and we'll explain those when we get there. Um, that's this week's podcast. We're excited. Uh, before we get to that, though, a Nelly update. Thanks to him for our intro song. He did a sit-down interview with Rolling Stone earlier this week, so that's kind of a, a goldmine for me uh, when I look for Nelly updates. Uh, we'll link to it in the podcast uh, show notes at uh, afootinthebox.com, but uh, here is an interesting exchange between Nelly and the interviewer, and it goes like this. The interviewer says, it seems like it's been a tumultuous couple of years with the IRS tax lien and the arrest on tour. Nelly says, I don't know. The arrest, I mean, I was detained. I wasn't arrested. I don't have any charges. The IRS was something that was taken care of in the next couple weeks. So people were making a big deal out of it when it wasn't? Nelly says, Sweetheart, I've got a quarter of a million dollars of diamond earrings. I think they would come for that. (laughs) As he laughs, according to the transcript. And then the interviewer, What about the whole hashtag Save Nelly campaign? Which we, of course, Mm -hmm. discussed. In depth. Nelly says, I mean, there were some effed up moments, but I was never down. It was a situation where I needed to clean up business. We all go through that. But that was it. I cleaned it up, and now we're doing what we do. Had you covered the arrest or detainment? I don't recall that story. It was early on. uh, His tour bus got, like, busted for it. And there's, like, a bunch of drugs on board, yeah. Hmm. Are you going to read the rest of the article? I will not, no. But I'm sure you'll link to it in the podcast episode page. I will. All right, uh, let's do some quick uh, baseball musings before we do uh, baseball on TV and then Mount Rushmore's with David. Uh, So uh, two weeks ago, I said I was a a big believer in the Yankees. Uh, Since then, they are 3-10, and and they got beat, I think, 2 out of 3 or 3 out of 4 by the Angels and then 2 out of 3 from the the, um, Rangers uh, this week. They lost uh, Phenom, shortstop. Labor Torres. Yeah, he's having Tommy John surgery on his non-throwing arm. Mm-hmm. And I, when my brother, uh, our brother, Kevin, uh, told me that, 
I had no idea how that would ever happen. Yeah. And uh, if you Google it, it was a slide into home. So he tried to like avoid a tag and then um, with his left arm got it like uh, pinned back. Yeah, it's weird that it would you know tear that ligament but not like break his arm or something like that. Yeah. But, yeah, he had been tearing he it should, up. He should be good like faster than a pitcher though because it's his non-throwing right. arm. And he's a shortstop. Yeah, they were considering bringing him up to play uh, third base. Mm-hmm. So you you curse them. Yeah, not a good week for uh, Yankees fans. The Royals uh, are back, sixteen and six in June, just a couple games out of the playoffs. Uh, Danny Duffy, their uh, best starting pitcher, or I guess Vargas is their best, but uh, one of their best starting pitchers tweeted. None of us have vacay plans in October. Don't sleep on the boys. This is kind of like a uh, worst nightmare, though, for management of the Royals because they've got Kane, Moustakis, Hosmer that are all, I guess Kane's two years away, but uh, Hosmer is going to be a free agent at the end of the year. Didn't you draft Kane in the our uh, I didn't, trade yeah. game? But you you can't you can't trade him at this point, right? I don't think so. I mean, they're, yeah, they're like a game and a half out of the wild card, two games out of the division. Uh, they have the second worst on base percentage in baseball at 2.99. Hmm. So uh, I am skeptical that it will last, but uh, who knows? Well, OBP is kind of a myth anyway, right? <laughs> what? I'm just kidding. Uh, as a White Sox fan, uh, big week or big weekend for me. Mark Burley's numbers mm. retired. Number 56 will never be worn again. The biggest deal from Sox. that whole weekend was that his what, eight-year-old son yeah. sang the national or anthem. Ni- nine-year-old son nine-year-old. Braden. Uh, sang the national anthem and did a great job. Um, I tweeted it out, um, but you, I'm sure you could find it if you Google it. But it did an amazing job, and I was picturing myself as like an eight or nine year old trying to do that, and it would have been mm-hmm. pretty ugly. Yeah, we'll play that to uh, to end this week's podcast. Nice, that's our outro. Yeah, that covered up the fact that they got swept by the A's at home. How many numbers have the White Sox retired? It seems like they've been on a, a lot. streak now. I think like thirteen now, thirteen or fourteen. How many? Like uh, Fisk, Canerco, Canerco two Thomas. years ago, Thomas last year, or Thomas was before Canerco and now Burley. Aparicio. Mm-hmm. Nelly Fox. Harold Baines. I think Baines is retired. Cubs only have six. It's kind of like a, a big deal. Yeah. Loyalty is important to Reinsdorf, so not surprising. Uh, Dodgers and Astros are your two best teams right now. It's, and uh, in my opinion, it's not even close. Uh, Dodgers have won nine in a row. Going into Sunday, they are 17-5 and five in June. And during that nine-game winning streak, uh, they have outscored opponents 67-22. to 22. So about seven runs a game and only giving up uh, just under three runs a game. The Astros are 51-25. and 25 And uh, so 21 wins end of June. In 2013, for the entire season, they went 51-111. and 111. Wow. Hashtag the process. <laughs> Uh, you're selectively avoiding the biggest headline from this week. What's that? The Cubs sent down uh, Babe Ruth Jr. <laughs> Kyle Schwarber was batting 171, I think 12 homers. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, I think uh, Theo called it kind of a mental break. I don't think he'll be down there for the rest of the season or anything like that. But um, I forget. Did I advise giving him a mental break about a month ago? I believe you did. Mm. In writing. Yes, I did. Yeah. Uh, what, uh, what's your take? Uh, I agreed with it. I was at his last game, perhaps ever in the major leagues. On Wednesday. <laughs> he has good at bats. 
uh, he doesn't swing at balls. Like his approach is still good, mm-hmm. but the balls that he needs to be hitting hard, he's not. Yeah, like he's not making strong contact. Yeah, that's I, mean, a, I mean that's a problem for the all of the Cubs. I think they're like top ten in like ground ball percentage, and yeah, they're they still have, I think they have the most walks in all of baseball. Like Bryant leads baseball in walks, but it's they're just not making solid contact when they do swing. Yeah, Schwarber's slash line is still. I mean, it's pretty amazing. One seventy one batting average, two ninety five on base percentage. Mm-hmm. Um, so if yeah, if you raise that just a few hundred points, he's already above league average on base percentage. Uh. Teams that need to follow the Yankees' lead from last year, uh, in terms of you know giving up on the season and trading uh, to rebuild like on the fly. I've got six of them: hmm. Tigers, who are terrible. Yep. The Cardinals, Giants, Mets, Orioles, and Blue Jays. No Pirates. No. Huh. They've kind of done that already, and I, I, I think it's worth how so worth hanging around. Uh, I mean, they traded um, Melanson last year to get uh, Felipe Rivera, who's really good this year. I guess they could trade McCutcheon, mm-hmm. but like Garrett Cole and like Harrison, um, I think you drafted him, right? Josh Harrison? Yeah. I think so, yeah. They've got them on like good deals. Polanco's been bad this year, but he's on a good like deal for a young player. So I just don't know what they could do. They don't have veterans around to like deal. Yeah, I mean, McCutcheon's the big one. Yeah, but. I guess you could trade him, but I don't think you'll get much back. Uh, Harbor versus Trout, quickly. Uh, Trout, uh, he is hitting off a tee, has been for a few days, and they're thinking a rehab stint in early July, hopefully getting him back for the Ulster game. He has been out since May 28th. Bryce Harper, uh, still having a good season, 2.7 war, but uh, since Trout has gone down, uh, he has not uh, been very good Just uh, since May 28th. 239 average, 333 on base, and 386 slugging, only three home runs. And uh, I think he kind of missed his chance to like take over the the reign of best player in baseball. Can I submit a third name for your weekly update? Uh, Aaron Judge? No, he plays right field on the south side uh, of Garcia. Chicago. Is he, is he still hitting well? Still the league leader in batting average. <laughs> 360, I believe. Is it for real? Uh, it seems like it. Nice. Yep. Yeah. Uh, last nugget I had uh, last Sunday against the Cubs, Ichiro became the oldest player to start center field. Uh, 43 years old. The previous uh, record setter was Ricky Henderson back with the Red Sox. Didn't William Mays play late in his career? Uh, not, like he played until like 45. 43 is pretty old. Yeah. I'll fact check that one. Uh, College World Series, Monday through Wednesday uh, of this week. Best of three series between Florida and LSU. Doesn't it? To me, it feels like the College World Series goes on forever. Yeah, well, I mean, it does. Uh, I don't like college baseball all that much, but I do like to look at major league players and where they went to college. Mm-hmm. So LSU, uh, great baseball tradition, six titles in uh, since 1990, including four titles in the 90s. Todd Walker, uh, former Cubs mm-hmm. second baseman. He was a great college player in the mid-90s. Um, some other current players from LSU, Alex Bregman from the Astros, Aaron Nola, pitcher for the Phillies, uh, Mike Fontenot, former Cubs. Mm-hmm. Second He's not still playing, is he? <laughs> of course not. Uh, and then Albert Bell, who we talked about last week. The Cubs' first-round pick, Alex Lang, is a pitcher for LSU. Uh, for Florida, uh, they have no titles, 
and uh, just two runners up, uh, 2005 and 2011. Um, so if you're rooting for the underdog, go for Florida. They have not won a title. Their list of uh, alums, not so great. Josh Fogg. Wow. Uh, Mike Zanino, who uh, plays for the Mariners now. Uh, David Ross, who played one year for Florida after he transferred from Auburn. David Eckstein is their most prominent alum. That's surprising. Mm-hmm. Uh, their first-round pick for the um, Tigers, Alex Fado. But both Fado and then Lang, who went to the Cubs, uh, they pitched on Saturday in elimination games. So neither one will start a game in the College World Series, hmm. which goes Monday through Wednesday. So they could come in relief, um, but I think you know, with all the eyes watching, they don't want to have the reputation of being uh, harsh on their pitchers. Hmm. So I won't be watching, but maybe you will be. Have you watched? Listener. Have you watched any of the games so far? Uh, no, I have not. I've looked at like scores. Oregon State was really good. I think they were like 56-6 and six or something mm-hmm. crazy like that. Um, but they got upset. All right, last thing before baseball on TV. Kenley Jansen, 31 innings pitched, 50 strikeouts, zero walks. Amazing. Yes, we'll keep, uh, keep you updated until he walks somebody. But let's move on to baseball on TV. All right, for baseball on TV this week, I went, uh, went way back, 50 years back. Uh, the Twilight Zone is the name of the TV show. Uh, which I assume, Peter, you've never heard of before? Uh, no. Uh, went with episode 35, entitled The Mighty Casey. Uh, a little bit of background on the Twilight Zone. Uh, this is from Wikipedia. It's an American science fiction, fantasy, psychological, supernatural, horror, anthology television series. And it ran for five seasons on CBS from 1959 to 1964. Uh, it was a popular and critical success and it introduced many Americans to common science fiction and fantasy. Oh, shoot. I just fell asleep there and woke up for a second. What were you saying? The specific episode, uh, like I said, it's entitled The Mighty Casey, and it involves a a, a robot named Casey who looks like a human being, and he plays for the Hoboken uh, Zephyrs, uh, he is designed to throw a fastball really, really hard, uh, strikes out everyone he comes uh, or pitches against, and is doing really well until he is hit by a ball as a batter, and he is examined by a uh, a doctor who notices that he doesn't have a pulse, doesn't have a heart. It's revealed that he's a robot. They come to the, uh, the National League commissioner, comes to the conclusion that unless he has a heartbeat, he cannot be considered a a player. So the uh, inventor of the robot puts a heart in him, uh, gives him human emotions. But then the twist in the episode is that he, once he has the heart, once he has the human emotions, he no longer wants to strike batters out and turns into a terrible pitcher uh, and becomes a social worker at the end of the episode. This is kind of like the X-Files episode, right? Uh, a little bit. At the very end of the episode... The uh, creator of the robot, Dr. Stillman, gives the manager of the team blueprints as a souvenir for the time that they had together. Uh, The manager decides to then take that blueprint and design uh, a starting staff for the next season of All Robots, and he goes on to win uh, a World Series the next year. So I'd give it a a 2.5 out of 5 stars. I will say my wife, Kate, who is not a huge baseball fan, watched the entire episode where she's kind of refused to do that with some of the other um, 
episodes we've watched, like The Wonder Years, um, or what was last week? Wait, we watched Wonder Years? Yeah, early on. No, we didn't. We didn't. No, we didn't. Mm-hmm. No, we did not. We did. No, we didn't. Yep. Uh, if you search the hashtag, we've never... What was the premise? The uh, boy in the the show... Ooh, struggling. <laughs> ...tries out for the team. He's not very good. His dad knows uh, an African, the African-American manager and gets him to make <laughs> the team. Why is that an important... I thought it would trigger <laughs> trigger a memory. It's sounding vaguely familiar. Okay. Uh, all that aside, it's an interesting show or an episode for folks who don't love baseball but like uh, sci-fi. So Twilight Zone, episode 35, The Mighty Casey, and we will roll out with the, the closing uh, minute from the episode. Once upon a time, there was a Major League Baseball team called the Hoboken Zephyrs, who during the last year of their existence wound up in last place and shortly thereafter wound up in oblivion. There's a rumor, unsubstantiated, of course, that a manager named McGarry took them to the West Coast and wound up with several pennants and a couple of world's championships. This team had a pitching staff that made history. Of course, none of them smiled very much, but it happens to be a fact that they pitched like nothing human. And if you're interested as to where these gentlemen came from, you might check under B for Baseball in the Twilight Zone. All right, so instead of uh, Out of the Box this week, uh, we're uh, shaking it up. We're doing Mount Rushmore's uh, baseball style. Uh, Pardon My Take is a podcast that uh, I listen to. Very funny. Paul has started to listen to it because I've forced him to. And uh, they're in the middle of Mount Rushmore season. So we thought we'd do uh, some baseball-themed Mount Rushmores on this week's episode. And to help us, award-winning listener of our podcast, David. Thank you, gentlemen. Excited to be on to hash out these Mount Rushmores. Absolutely. All right, so we've got three uh, different Mount Rushmores to do. Baseball movies, baseball brawls, and uh, retired hitters with under 100 home runs. So uh, let's kick it off. Baseball movies is first. And uh, Paul, why don't you start us with your Mount Rushmore of baseball movies? Alrighty, uh, there are four. Four, right? Four. That, that's correct. Paul, what four presidents are on Mount Rushmore? Lord, we've done this before. Uh, Lincoln, Washington, Theodore Roosevelt, and Jefferson, right? Donald Trump. <laughs> uh, yeah, Jefferson, I think. Nice. All right, so my top four movies, baseball movies of all time. Rookie of the Year, Angels in the Outfield, Major League, the first one, and uh, by far my number one, Field of Dreams. Say those again. Rookie of the Year, Angels in the Outfield, Major League, the first one, mm. and Field of Dreams. It's a good list. Any uh, any comments? Uh, just that. You, some, know. you left off some notable movies. Yeah, almost guaranteeing that Moneyball is in yours. Yes. Oh. Yeah, I was going to say, Peter's definitely going to have Moneyball, and he's definitely going to have Field of Dreams. Mm. I left off Field of Dreams because I don't think you can ever rewatch it. But that's just my opinion. Mm. You can't rewatch it because it's just like, once you've seen it once, it loses its appeal? Yeah, and it's like, isn't it really long? <laughs> it's like just a lot of like corn, and I'm from Iowa, so it's kind of like par for the course for me, but... I can see how the average viewer would not want to sit down on like 
an average Sunday and watch it on TNT or anything. Yeah. David, what's your list? All right, I'll go. Uh, baseball movies. Bad News Bears, the original. Mm-hmm. Not the crap remake with Billy Bob Thornton. No, <laughs> no disrespect to Billy Bob, though. Uh, number two, Little Big League, which I think is like, I don't know, it's kind of niche. I don't think most people would think that as a great baseball movie. Uh, three, The Sandlot. Mm-hmm. I think that's probably most like iconic for my generation. And then lastly, Major League Two, not Major League One, because Randy Quaid as the super fan might be the greatest baseball movie character <laughs> of all time. Man, that's a good list. I feel like, so I totally forgot about Major League, uh, and that's pretty iconic. So Field of Dreams is on my list. Moneyball is on my list. Uh, and then I had League of Their Own and Angels in the Outfield. But I'm reconsidering uh, after this discussion. I'm going to go Field of Dreams, Moneyball, League of Their Own, and Sandlot. Sandlot replaces Angels in the Outfield. Because I feel like a Mount Rushmore, uh, in terms of like movie and culture, Sandlot you can't like not have on that list. Hmm, League of Their Own. I'm surprised by that. Yeah, I enjoyed it. Gives the it gives the female uh, person a, uh, a a Rushmore to look at. <laughs> the female person. We're really hitting our demographic. Yeah, and as we've said over and over again on our podcast, we are very pro female, pro woman. Yes, I'm not married, and I I don't see why not. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Just waiting for my sweet. waiting for my daddy. <laughs> He's uh, actually married in real life, though, right? During the movie. Uh like... yeah, yeah her her husband's at war. Mm-hmm. Okay yeah. David, right. what movie did we do with you? We've done we've done two movies with David. I'm drawing a blank. We did Sandlot with Scott. We did Eddie's Million Dollar Cookoff. That's right. And right. Uh, Rookie of the Year, or no, Angel in the Outfield. Hmm. Yeah, Angel in the Outfield. Yes. Uh, you'll be back again for <laughs> year three, right, David? Oh, for sure. We got, they're basically endless baseball movies. We can do uh, The Arm, that one that came out recently. Yeah, Disney. Bill Simmons produced. Yeah. All right. Uh, you picked baseball brawls as a uh, category, so you can kick us off. This this is by far the best of the three categories. I had uh, so much fun for hours on YouTube watching awesome baseball brawls. Yeah, it's so much more fun, like, knowing that they're going to fight because then you can like see all the little things that added up to it. Mm-hmm. I, I like seeing, uh, watching videos where like teams are getting into like a beam more and it's like, you see one and then you see the next and then like someone throws behind someone and it's on. Uh, <laughs> all right, here's my brawl list. First, uh, Izzy Alcantara. You probably don't know his name, but he's the guy on YouTube who basically, he didn't even get hit. They just threw inside, and then he kicked the catcher yep. in the face <laughs> and then ran out to the mound looking to, like, fight eight people. And the infield for the other team ran in, and none of them wanted, like, the first shot. So they all just kind of stood around him <laughs> until, like, he went at someone, and then they just tackled him. Who did he play I for? That was, I, uh, no, it was in the minors, I think. Mm-hmm. Okay. Uh, didn't, didn't Jose Offerman do this, too? Or he did, he did. Offerman, if I'm not mistaken, was the guy who charged the mound with his bat. Yes, he also punched an umpire. Like, yeah, he's 
that one, it didn't make my list, but that's a legend. It's kind of like Happy Gilmore, uh, only guy in the league to ever take off his skate to try and stab somebody, <laughs> but the baseball equivalent. Mm. Uh, okay, number two, in Major League Two, when Wild Thing and Willie Mays Hayes fight in the dugout and the whole Indians team fights, and then they all get ejected. Uh, <laughs> that makes the list because I don't think that's ever happened in real sports. But it was very creative, so I thought I needed to include it. There was uh, uh, Zambrano and uh, Michael Barrett, if, if I recall. Oh, Pavel Bond and Harper. That's right, yeah. Minor, I just like how the whole team gets, like the manager goes out to the ump, and the umps, and they're like, what do we do? And like, just toss them. Toss them <laughs> off. Like, they're all fighting. Might as well. Uh, all right, number three, I had Pedro versus Don Zimmer. Mm. You guys might have had this one. I I remember like seeing the early highlights of it, and I was so confused at what Don Zimmer was doing. <laughs> like he weighed probably at least three hundred pounds. He was seventy two years old. old. Yeah, he's like seventy, and he's charging. I don't know, like in his mind, how he expected that to go down. But Pedro just kind of a like it was a little bit of a bullfight move. Olay, just a quick like tap of the head and down goes Zimmer. Mm-hmm. I thought that was great because you don't really see the old guys getting involved. Uh, so that one's a, a pick for our elderly listeners. Pedro's been in so many. Like I looked, uh, watched like a 10-minute video and I feel like half the videos, Pedro was somehow involved in the in the brawl. He deserves a spot on this rush more than. Uh, and then lastly, at Comiskey, when those two psychos ran onto the field and like started fighting the first base coach, it wasn't actually a fight. They just kind of jumped him. But that's not what makes it. What makes it is, like, the entire Royals team, like, all it, like it was a big wave, just, like, came out and, like, consumed them and probably just beat them down. And I thought that was great because it really shows the team mentality of baseball. Mm. Yeah, I forgot about that. Uh, my list. So I had Pedro versus Zimmer as well. I forgot that that was in the playoffs. That was the 2003 uh, ALCS. Oh, really? Yeah. Wow. Yeah, so that uh, that was awesome. And uh, you can tell Zimmer, like, right when it started, he's like, I'm going to go after him. I'm going for it. Uh, so that was one. Uh, two, Nolan Ryan versus uh, Robin Ventura in the early yep. 90s. The yep, image, yep. the the what would be engraven on Mount Rushmore would be the, the headlock and Ryan just throwing jabs at, at Ventura. Uh, that was awesome. And then I have uh, Harper uh, versus Strickland of this year, and uh, probably recency bias here, but uh, Harper throwing the helmet and the fact that he's like such a, a prominent player, he uh, he goes on this list for me. And then last one, uh, the only one I was watching live when it happened, Cubs-White Sox 2006, when uh, uh, Michael Barrett punched uh, Pierzynski in the face. For no reason. Uh, he he didn't need to run, run him over at home plate, <laughs> but he did. That's a solid list. Yeah, I just off that list though, the Rangers Blue Jays fight from last year, and yeah, uh, the Reds Cardinals from 2010. Uh, when I think was it Cueto was pinned up against the netting behind home plate and, he and started was, kicking people. Started kicking. I just think if you were sitting back there, like that would be the coolest thing. Like that net saved us from a uh, uh, mouse at the palace. Mm-hmm. sort of scenario yeah so i'm not gonna say that baseball needs a malice in the palace equivalent 
but I wouldn't mind seeing it. Yeah. <laughs> who would who would be the player that would be like the run our test? Puig. Ooh, good question. Puig. Oh yeah. I mean, yeah. All right. That's um, definitely going to be Puig. All right, my my top four. Uh, you guys have mentioned three out of the four: uh, Ventura versus Ryan in '93, Batista and Odor last year, and then Zimmer Pedro. The one you guys didn't mention, uh, which was uh, one that I had forgotten about, but is amazing. It was Carlos Gomez versus the Braves back in uh, September of 2013, and this was the one where Gomez, you know, pimped a homer like. Uh, seriously it took him like a minute and a half to get around the bases and then uh Brian McCann literally stood halfway between third base and home like wouldn't let Gomez touch home plate and uh started a full out brawl but i think that's like the first time i've seen that happen where like a catcher or any player literally stops a player from running the bases that, the the Braves Brewers one the Braves are a sneaky brawl team. I mean, this is a couple of years ago. They had a bunch of baseball hardos. Like mm-hmm. McCann is probably like the most, I, I mean, at least recently, one of the most like unwritten rules guys. Like if you look at something wrong, he's going <laughs> to take it as an insult. So like not a surprise that he's involved. Well, they got into it. Jose Fernandez hit a home run. And uh, yeah, they look terrible now that he's dead. So... <laughs> they, they should have not done that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, they should have known, right? <laughs> One last brawl I want to mention. Uh, 1965, uh, Jose and like I think it's the only time it's happened in the majors. Uh, a player, I'm not sure which team it was, but they used a bat in the brawl, and they uh, apparently like the, the hitter uh, hit the pitcher several times with the bat. Hmm. In the video footage, it's like oh. really like grainy and black and white. But it is like scary to think what a uh, an athlete could do with a bat against like another. You could kill somebody, and so uh, that that uh, is just off my list as well. I'm surprised no one mentioned uh, Kyle Farnsworth, uh, Paul Wilson. Was that his name? Yeah, I feel like that's pretty Cub centric. But didn't Farnsworth like tackle him? Yeah, I mean, there's lots of fights we didn't put on here. Veritek versus A Rod, 2004, when he slapped him in the face. Mm-hmm. It's a good one. All right. The the guy that I expected to see was John Rocker. John Rocker had like no <laughs> real significant fights, which is kind of shocking. Yeah. All right. The last category, it's the one I chose, and it's uh yeah, it's a weird category. But uh retired hitters with under hundred homers. Uh I can start us off because it was my choice. You can kind of go a lot of different ways with this one. And uh each of mine kind of fill a different role for me. So first, uh, Chuck Knobloch, 98 career homers. I'm a big Chuck Knobloch fan. To not be able to throw the ball to first base from second for a major league player is just astounding to me. And the fact that he was like such a good player outside of that, he's a cool player in my mind. And he had a cool stance. So if you, when you created a player, like his batting stance was always one that was like unique. Yeah, I was going to say he's probably on the Mount Rushmore of batting stances. Ooh. That's a good. That's a good category. Along with Craig Council, uh huh. Yep, Craig Council too. Bonds, Griffey, McGuire. Who was that guy that used to like wave his? He like was like facing the pitcher, ninety degree angle. Like uh, Bautista, Tony Bautista. Tony uh, Bautista. Yep. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Gary Sheffield. Oh yeah. All right. Uh, Knobloch, ninety eight homers. Uh, second, Kurt Flood, eighty five. 
I put him on here because he would have had 100 if the owners uh, didn't give him the shaft after he tried to be a free agent. So Kurt Flood, important baseball player uh, because of the whole free agency thing. Three, uh, Lou Boudreau, who hit 68 homers. He is on this list because he went to Illinois. He's one of only three Illini athletes in general, any sport, to have their number retired. Uh, David Paul, both U of I grads. Uh, can you name the other two to have their number retired? Buckus. Buckus, yep. And another uh, football player. Red Grange. That's right. Boudreaux, if you read his Wikipedia, he uh, had a really interesting college career. He was an All-American in basketball, too. So. Oh, wow. Hall of Famer. Uh, last one, a guy by the name of Home Run Baker. <laughs> he also made my list. 96 career homers. He was called, according to Wikipedia, the original home run king of the majors. They were great with nicknames back in the <laughs> early 1900s. Uh, a great Wikipedia uh, tidbit. So Ty Cobb spiked him in a game, and uh, home run Baker and his manager complained and to the umpires and to the media. But then a photograph from the uh, newspaper vindicated Cobb and showed that it wasn't as bad as, as uh, home run Baker was making it out to be. And so he, according to Wikipedia, he got the reputation for being weak and easily intimidated. And then a sports writer from the Detroit Free Press referred to Baker in a column as a soft flesh darling. Wow. So like, I feel like this was this was the start of the hot take era, like the 1910s. Yes, I also included Home Run Baker and uh, Lou Boudreau. So we're think we're thinking alike. Who are your other two? Uh, Ozzy Smith. Can you guys guess how many straight gold gloves he won? 12. 13. Wow. 13 straight gold gloves, 15-time uh, All-Star. So How many homers? I believe he had 89. He wasn't a great hitter. OPS plus of under 100. But, uh, and then, under 1,000? No, OPS plus. Oh, gosh. That's kind of a complex stat. You might not understand it. Um, Nerd. And then uh, <laughs> Luke Appling. Who shortstop for the White Sox in the early 1900s? Uh, played 20 seasons, all of them for the Sox. Uh, lifetime on base percentage of 400. Um, stud number retired, along with 14 other White Sox. But um, I think he he's deserving. All right, David, what you got? All right, I went a completely different direction. You guys. <laughs> uh, number one, Michael Jordan. He <laughs> but he decided that he was better at basketball. <laughs> but he's still on the list. You can't leave MJ off a rush more mm. if uh, Fox Sports has taught us anything. Uh, number two, Mike Hampton. People think he was a pitcher, but they only talk about his hitting. Mm. So he's basically a hitter, uh, often referred to as probably the best hitting pitcher between probably like 2000 like 2008. Mm. All you could hear is Hampton. Uh, number three, Deion Sanders, prime time, <laughs> great kick returner, punt returner, cornerback, didn't have a lot of power uh, in the box. That's a good one. And then lastly, Barry Bonds, none of his homers count. <laughs> <laughs> yes, I like it. <laughs> I, I'd probably go with your Mount Rushmore. It'd be the most interesting. Mm. Juan Pierre just missed mine. 2,000 career games, Juan Pierre hit 18 home runs. How is that possible? 
Uh, David, you didn't go with Lenny Dextra. No, no Lenny. Uh, <laughs> Nils will make some other lists, but that's for a different podcast. Yes. Uh, David, I'd just like to say that you would make uh, the Mount Rushmore of our favorite listeners. So thanks wow. for your, thanks I, for your I listening. appreciate it. it. Who is the it's like me, Shulky, Josh Scott. Josh. I would go I'm gonna no Scott, but I'll put in the uh the random guy that emailed us asking for tips a couple weeks back. Oh, okay. Yeah. Who's the guy you went over under? Oh, of course, Bertle S. <laughs> Bertle S would definitely be in the, the Rushmore. Yeah, he's in the Mount Rushmore. That's for sure. Who he is he is yet to claim his free book from last year. That's beneath him. He doesn't need to claim it. All right, David. Well, uh, thanks for joining us. Thanks for introducing me to Pardon My Take. And uh, I wouldn't know about Mount Rushmore season otherwise. So thank you. No problem. Just doing my job. Keep on, guys. When you can put some of those categories, you know, you got your OBPS and all that and the VORPs. When they put in TWTW, and then interface those numbers with TWTW under that category, then you might have something cooking. What, what, what TW is? Yeah, what is that? That's the will to win. All right, for TWTW this week, uh, it's going to be a quick one. Uh, Before what, you get to it, uh, I got some Hawk news. What's that? Did you see the tweet this week that uh, said AJ Przinsky, <laughs> uh, and his, uh, when he was on the Sox, him and his teammates bought every Hawk biography I did. available on the internet uh, Ross Glode has uh, apparently seven copies yes, of the book pretty hilarious I feel like we've looked for those what's the name of the book I don't know I know the cover is like him with a cowboy hat on with a bat yeah didn't didn't for my birthday or Christmas last year you looked into getting yeah I, I do think it was pretty hard to find one yeah I think like books used bookstores apparently is the place to go according to uh, uh, Southside Socks on Twitter uh, one of my kind of baseball nerd subjects that I love to dig into the numbers uh, is pitch distribution. So looking at how often pitchers or leagues throw certain pitches. And so I dug into the numbers this weekend, and I just have five interesting fun facts about pitch distribution uh, so far this year. Number one, the National League is a more fastball-friendly league than the American League. Hmm which was surprising to me, I suppose, with pitchers. Yeah. You. Why was it surprising to you? I just think of the American League as a more um, or a, a better offensive league, and so you would want to throw more off speed. But I guess, yeah, it makes sense because you're going to throw fastballs to pitchers. Um, second fun fact, we're seeing less fastballs this year, but more sliders, curveballs, and change-ups. So you're seeing a trend away from fastballs, and towards uh, breaking pitches. Hmm. Again, kind of interesting. Third fun fact, fastballs and sliders account for over two-thirds of the pitches thrown this year, and that's uh, been fairly consistent over the last five seasons. Um, so it's becoming more and more a fastball and slider league. Uh, curveball would be number three, but that's only accounts for 11% of the pitches that are thrown. Fourth fun fact, starting pitchers throw less fastballs and sliders than relievers, but more curveballs and changeups. Again, kind of what I would assume. You see so many uh, relievers these days that you know can hit a hundred and uh, have like a you know ninety-one, ninety-two mile an hour slider and uh, nothing other than that. Uh, Tommy Canley is the guy that comes to mind. Uh, and the last one: 
Batters do most of their damage on fastballs, changeups, and cutters. Uh, sliders and curveballs are the the pitches that batters struggle with the most. So, five interesting facts. Hope you enjoyed it as much as I do. That all came from uh, Fangraphs data. If you're curious, good stuff. Uh, all right, next up, sounds of the game. Granky, a good hitter, but he has grounded out and popped a bunt up, and he is hit. And I think Kennedy's thrown out of the game. Wow. Holy mackerel. And now they're liable to get angry after that. Uribe is mixing it up a little bit. He's in the middle. That's Belisario went down on one knee. And now Mark McGuire and Kirk Gibson and Matt Williams is trying to restrain Mark McGuire. And Matt Williams keeps saying no, no. And McGuire's getting hot. Don Baylor is right in the middle of things. And they're pushing Don away. Josh Beckett was restrained. It looked like he and Baylor were having some words. Now there's about a little more ready to erupt. Puig is right there. There is Puig hollering at anybody who listen, even those who won't. Remember, he was hit in the nose earlier. That was Vince Scully describing a brawl between the Diamondbacks and Dodgers, June 11th, 2013. Thought that would be fitting after our Mount Rushmore of brawls discussion with David earlier. Uh, 2013 actually was uh, the uh, the year of the brawls for the Dodgers. Granky got into several scuffles, including Carlos Quinton, if mm-hmm. you remember. I do. In April, uh, I believe hurt his shoulder. Mm-hmm. And was out for a month or so. Padres, right? Yeah, Carlos Quentin and the Padres, yep. And in this game in particular, there was actually two different brawls. Uh, Grinky hit somebody or threw in to somebody, and then they uh, retaliated. Ian Kennedy uh, threw at Grinky and was tossed. Uh, all right. This week for Sons of the Game, again, going off our Mount Rushmore discussion, and also uh, kind of a a trailer for the third year of uh, A Foot in the Box, Summer Flicks, coming in a couple months uh gonna play uh, a clip from field of dreams for opening day each year we've played the uh famous montage uh of uh james earl jones Mm -hmm. uh, you know the the whole baseball now an mlb network commercial is it Mm -hmm. uh him him uh terrence mann in the movie uh talking about baseball and and uh how it stands the test of time so we're gonna uh, not play that this week Instead, let's go with the uh, final scene of the movie uh, with uh, Ray Kinsella and his father sharing a a game of catch on their uh, newly constructed baseball field. Uh, So here is that clip, and then after that, uh, it's time for an interview with Mike Lurie, 
about his his uh, his book on fathers and sons watching baseball. So very fitting uh, that we play a clip of the most famous father-son moment from a baseball movie. You catch a good game. Thank you. It's so beautiful here. For me, well, for me, it's like a dream come true. Can I ask you something? Is, is this heaven? It's Iowa. Iowa? We're joined on the podcast now by Mike Lurie. Mike is the author of a book named Baseball Between Us, where he chronicles his experience of visiting every major league park with his son, Matt. He's also uh, an award-winning TV reporter on the side, uh, <laughs> based in uh, Sacramento, California. Mike, welcome to the podcast. Thank you very much. My pleasure to be there. Uh, well, Mike, I know uh, your book came out back in 2011, uh, so that's uh, six years ago now, so we're a little late to the game. Um, but in 2011, I was a bachelor in college and uh, didn't have any kids, whereas now I'm uh, married and have two boys. So it just took a couple of years for me to move into the, the target market for your book. But, you know, such a cool experience for you and your son, Matt. Six years uh, later, what are some lasting memories of those games uh, as you look back? Well, it sounds like you're ready to do a road trip with your boys. <laughs> yeah, they're, they're a little young, so I, I don't know about that, but... 
Well, there will be time soon enough. Yeah. Uh, I started actually uh, taking uh, Matt and uh, my daughter Sarah to games when they were little, like uh, four and five years old. We would just make local trips to uh, you know, Oakland to see the A's play and San Francisco to see the Giants. And you know, they had fun and really enjoyed it. And then as Matt got older, uh, he really developed a love for baseball, played Little League. And I thought, well, what better way than to uh, bond, you know, have a father-son bond than to take a road trip? So we just did a couple of regional trips. We'd, you know, go to, um, you know, St. Louis, for example, and see the Cardinals, and then uh, on to Chicago and see the Cubs and a couple other um, uh, adventures. And he really liked it, and we bonded. And then we thought, well, as he got older and became a teenager, uh, I thought this would be a fun uh, way to bond again, um, you know, and do an extensive road trip for a week or so at, uh, at a time. And it was a great experience. That's great. Uh, what do you think makes baseball unique in terms of the relationships it can build between uh, fathers and sons or just families in general? I know with uh, like football and basketball, certainly, you know, that, that can be um, a thing that fathers and sons do, but it just seems like baseball is kind of unique in, in the way they bring fathers and sons together. It is, and I think it's because of the pace of the game. You know, baseball is much slower, and uh, that's a good thing because in between pitches, you can talk about baseball strategy. Hey, you know, Matt, what do you think the pitcher's going to throw next? Is it going to be a curveball or a sinker or a fastball? And how's the defense going to position themselves? Are they going to walk? Are they going to, you know, hit and run? A uh, little uh, suicide squeeze here. You can talk baseball strategy. And then sneak in a question about, you know, well, how was the junior prom after all? Who did you end up taking? You know, you can just sort of sneak in a question there to find out what's going on with their lives. So baseball allows that natural parlance, if you will, to uh, have a conversation with your son or daughter, uh, not in the same way that hockey or football or basketball. They're, they're too frenetic, too fast-paced for that, and baseball has a much more you know, slower, natural rhythm that allows for conversations between parent and child. Hmm. Yeah, I loved the, uh, the story. At the beginning of your book, you talk about going to, was it the 1963 World Series with your dad? That was kind of the first baseball memory you had? Yeah, and it was a great, uh, great experience. I'll never forget it. You know, the wrong team won. <laughs> I'm concerned. I grew up in Connecticut, a uh, diehard Yankee fan, and I was absolutely convinced that the Yankees under uh, Whitey Ford on the mound were going to, you know, sweep the Dodgers. And so we went to game one. My dad got tickets somehow miraculously. They played the World Series games in the daytime back then. So my dad pulled me out of school. We went. Um, you know, on the train to New York and uh, got to the uh, got to the stadium, and lo and behold, uh, Sandy Koufax, um, uh, the pitcher on the mound for the Dodgers, kept mowing down all the Yankees. Um, you know, Bobby Richardson strikeout, uh, Mickey Mantle strikeout, Tom Tress strikeout. In fact, Mickey Mantle, my idol, struck out I think two or maybe even three times that game. And by the time it was all said and done, uh, Sandy Koufax had struck out 15 Yankees. Hmm. Uh, which was then, I think, a World Series record, and uh, en route to a 5-2 victory, and I cried all the way home. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I love the uh, the ballpark rankings uh, that you include in your book. Everyone loves uh, a list. Uh, you go with your top three were uh, AT&T Park in San Francisco, PNC Park, and, uh, and Fenway. What stood out about those three, or maybe just about uh, San Francisco in general? Well, San Francisco is beautiful. It's a new park, of course. Uh, privately financed, and you just have that unparalleled view of the bay, the blue water and the blue sky and the green grass, you know, make it for a nice contrast. 
and it's just a spectacular uh, place to see a ball game. Plus, it's the only stadium uh, in the nation where you can actually see a game for free. There is uh, a part of the right field fence called the knot hole where fans can line up, and for three innings, you're allowed to stand there and peer through the right field fence right behind the right fielder and watch the game. And then you rotate out after three innings, and new people come in and do that for innings four, five, six, and then eventually seven, eight, and nine. So that's sort of a throwback to the past, a retrospective of the time when kids used to peer through knot holes, you know, in, in plywood planks to be able to watch games back in the 30s and 40s. So it's kind of a uh, you know reminiscent of that. And not only that, the food is fantastic there. Uh, the hot dogs are terrific. Uh, but best of all, people really like the, uh, uh, the nachos and the garlic fries are to die for. <laughs> yeah, Paul and I, uh, with our brothers, are actually going to San Francisco for the first time uh, this summer. So we're pretty, uh, pretty excited. I, I will... Ed, as a diehard Cubs fan, I'm, I'm wondering where Wrigley falls on your list. I don't think it, it was in your top ten. No, I, I ranked it 11. And, of course, these things are very subjective, you know, and on any given day you can, you know, go up or down a, a level or two. But the thing is, um, I, you know, I love the fans at Wrigley. They're fantastic. They're hyper-partisan and um, really pumped up about the team. I had a great experience there, uh, not with uh, my family, just uh, individually hmm. going to a game. I sat in the left field stands and um, was amazed uh, when they started chanting something, you know, at the right field people, and I couldn't quite make out what it was. And pretty soon I heard this murmur that got louder and louder, and I realized they were saying, right field sucks, right field sucks. <laughs> And then the right field fans would give it right back and say, left field sucks, <laughs> left field sucks. And so you have the back and forth and that banter that, um, you know, make it historic. You have the Ivy, of course, which is great, the uh, hyper-partisan fans. You know, the only reason I didn't rank Wrigley higher is because it has sort of an outdated kind of feel in terms of the modern amenities that a lot of, you know, ballpark fans really like uh, with the sweets and the food and the, you know, there just were long lines and the bathrooms mm-hmm. are kind of old. But, you know, I, I suppose that's part of the charm and the appeal to it, too. It's, uh, you know, one of the world's uh, oldest ballparks, the second oldest one, I think, built in 1914 uh, after uh, Wrigley or after Fenway in Boston, 1912. So it's got that great authentic feel to it, and it's a fantastic experience for any fan. So the subtitle of your book, uh, 16 years, 32 ballparks, 43,000 miles. Uh, do you have a favorite uh, like in-game moment from those uh, 16 years' worth of games? And then do you have a favorite player uh, that you kind of got to watch um, along that, that journey? Oh, that's a great question. Uh, favorite in-game moment? I think... Um... You know, one of them was, uh, I'd have to say the most historic one, was seeing Barry Bonds hit his 715th home run at um, AT&T Park in San Francisco. And this is right in the heart of the, you know, the steroid era. And you go to other parks and they're shouting and chanting things at, you know, Barry and saying, you know, you know, steroids, steroids, and, and all of that. But in San Francisco, he was beloved. And when he tied... Uh, Babe Ruth for 714 home runs. Everybody was waiting for that next one to go out. And he actually had a drought of about two weeks where he didn't hit any home runs. And it worked out great schedule-wise because the Giants were home during that series against the uh, Colorado Rockies. And um, I got tickets just sort of thinking, anticipating, well, maybe he'll have, you know, hit his home run on that day. 
And sure enough, um, we were there on the day that uh, he jacked out his 715th home run. Mm -hmm. There was no doubt about it. It was gone from the minute it hit the bat. And the pageantry and the color and the celebration and the orange and black confetti coming out of the stands and the fireworks and just the fans cheering and cheering and cheering for what seemed like five minutes or more. You know, just to be part of history on that, on that terrific day, it was a great baseball moment and one that I know my son and I will never forget. Yeah, Mike, uh, you know, like I mentioned earlier, I'm a, I'm a fairly new father, have two sons, both under the age of two, and like you, I sort of have this this passion or just desire for them to grow up to love baseball. I think that would be great. But, you know, under the age of two, that's that's a bit early. Do you sort of have like an ideal age range where you started taking Matthew to games on a consistent basis? Yeah, I agree with you. Two is too young. You know, they don't have the attention span. But as they get a little older and start playing, you know, um, Little League, they get more into it. And, um, you know, I would start by just doing little catches in the backyard. You know, you take the mitt and you throw the ball around and see if uh, if your son or daughter has that kind of interest and that kind of attention span and that kind of ability. And then, you know, you try a game, you know, close by. For you, it could be the Cubs or maybe the, the Cardinals. And uh, and just see how they do, you know. And there's always uh, popcorn and peanuts and Cracker Jack <laughs> and all that good, you know, health food that uh, that baseball parks offer. And um, you know, see what kind of uh, fun they have. And then there's the the fun of you know looking for the players before the game. I always try to get there early, and you know maybe you can sneak an autograph and talk to a player uh, during batting practice, that kind of thing. And see how your kids respond. And you know some of them will be really into it, others not so much. But if they're really enthusiastic about it, you can try another game. And then, you know, as they get older, I would say, you know, maybe starting at, um, you know, 10 or so would be a good age to, to start really doing, uh, you know, a road trip, maybe two, three games. And then by the time they're a teenager, you can really go places that are far and wide and have fun. But, of course, being locked up with a teenager in a hotel room for a week at a time has its challenges, too. <laughs> All right. Well, thanks so much for joining us, Mike. Uh, final question from us. Uh, so next week is our uh, 100th episode, and uh, we are listing off our 100 favorite things about baseball. Uh, after going to 32 parks with your son, being a lifelong baseball fan, uh, I wanted to know what are uh, a few of your favorite things about the game of baseball? Favorite things about the game of baseball? Well, that's that's another hour. <laughs> <laughs> I'll give you the short version, which is, uh, you know, I just think the tradition, the passing of the uh, torch from father to son or father to daughter, um, you know, talking about players that, you know, I grew up with, you know, Mickey Mantle and Roger Maris and Whitey Ford and Elston Howard and guys like that. And then seeing uh, those, you know, those players uh, fade over time and retire, but then you can get into new players and talk to um, your kid about that and compare them statistically. And that's one thing great about baseball is their statistical references. So you can see how they compare at a similar age and a similar time in their career and just traveling to the different ballparks. And one of the things I like best about baseball is that every park is different and unique. Not one or not any two have the same dimensions or field uh, perspective uh, of any other. It's unlike, you know, basketball and football have uniform dimensions, as does hockey, but baseball is different. So that's what makes it different and unique. You have different dimensions. You have different foods, different flavors, different colors, um, and just the chatter of the game and the kids bringing signs and the autographs and the foul balls that come your way open it up to make everything interactive about it. And, again, as we've talked about, 
the pace of the game, I think, uh, allows itself to, um, you know, have a great conversation with your with your son or daughter uh, in a way that can be meaningful, you know, talking about the game and then beyond that, what's happening in their life. And that's the beauty of baseball, and I just love it and uh, feel very fortunate and blessed to have made this journey. Yeah, we love uh, we love baseball, too. Uh, if folks are interested, uh, your book is still on Amazon. Uh, we both bought it uh, for a great price. I think it was at $2 when we saw it. <laughs> you uh, can't beat that. <laughs> you can't beat that, no, but great idea for a book, great experience you had, and it's a, it's a great read. It ages well, uh, you know, six years down the road. I, I still thought it was a an entertaining read. So we appreciate having you on folks. Go buy uh, Mike's book. All right. Well, thank you so much for having me and uh, have a great week. The pitch. Bonds hits one high. Hits it deep to center. Out of here. 7.15. The wait is over. And they are on their feet here at AT&T Park. Thanks again to Mike for joining us. Really enjoyed that discussion about fathers and sons. Uh, check his book out, uh, Baseball Between Us, and you can check out the website, baseballbetweenus.com. Uh, really cool stuff. All right, so like I mentioned in the interview, episode 100 is next week. Uh, we've made it to triple digits, and we are celebrating uh, by listing off our 100 favorite things about baseball. That'll be the entire episode. Nothing else, uh, just Paul and I listing off. Well, yeah, our, and we'll our do top a, fifty each uh, things about baseball, and we'll do our best to keep it lively and entertaining. I know uh, a list a hundred deep doesn't sound the most entertaining, but well, I think it sounds very entertaining. I hope for it to be a resource, like someone's like, "Hey, why should I like baseball?" <laughs> and you just show him or her or have them listen to this podcast. Mm. We're gonna try to convince the non-baseball fan to like baseball. Uh, yeah, so we're excited about that. And as a tease, I thought we could do our Mount Rushmore's of uh, episodes right now. Yeah, let's do it. So quickly, uh, I think for sure the first Brothers Road Trip podcast would be on there. Yes. Uh, Cubs, the one where the Cubs won the World Series, yes. also on there. Brothers Road Trip, first one, that's episode 15. Okay. And then the Cubs World Series, which was last November. Ep- episode 75. Okay. And then for me, I would I would put the ten guest, the real ten guest playoff preview from last year, just because we did it. We interviewed ten writers mm-hmm. uh, about baseball, yep, or about their teams heading into the playoffs. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then the Dane Winkler episode, episode forty-seven, the only major league pitcher, only major league player we've interviewed uh, was a was a great interview. Yep, I'd would, go would be those. Those would be your four, too? Uh, I went uh, Winkler episode, episode 75, which was the Cubs one, Brothers Road Trip in Chicago, which you went with, and then the only difference was uh, Alan Nathan, which was is the most fun I've had, uh, mostly because I got to visit uh, his office, and uh, he's just a really nice... He's caught up in this big uh, juice ball controversy now. He is, yeah. A lot of, a lot of Twitter fighting. So yeah. you, you would not put the 10 guests... Uh, probably not. Hmm. I We're believe just, that I believe the Alan Nathan one was your solo podcast. Yeah, honorable mention to um, uh, Will Leach and uh, Jesse Carey. Hmm. Those were also really good. Agreed. All right. Well, there's your Mount Rushmore of a Foot in the Box episodes. 
Next week, we will give our 100 favorite things about baseball. Uh, 2005 MVP baseball update. Uh, we have not played in a couple weeks now. Rain delays. This weather's yeah. just been terrible. Yep. Uh, we are going to play uh, this week, Monday night. Um, so if you listen to this on Monday, look forward to that on Monday night. All right. Uh, you can subscribe to our podcast on iTunes. Find us on Stitcher, Google Play, SoundCloud. Send us emails at afootinthebox at gmail.com. Perhaps you have a favorite thing about baseball you'd like included. Yeah. That's uh, afootinthebox at gmail.com. Follow us on Twitter at afootinthebox. And then uh, check us out online at afootinthebox.com. And uh, I think that does it. Paul, do you have anything else? Thanks for listening. Reminder to keep a foot in the box. We'll talk to you next week. Stripes and bro-